0: Thank you. My name is Luke Kay, and I am a member of Al-Anon. My home group is the East Brainerd Club. We meet every Thursday night at 8 o'clock. If you're in Chattanooga, you ought to come on by, and we'd love to have you. Uh, It's exciting to follow speakers like this and realize how much trouble you're in. They're just outstanding. It's amazing, but the years of experience they bring, the honesty they bring, the the insight they bring, it's just gripping. It's just gripping. Uh, let me jump right into this and share with you what is on my mind. Um, I learned the rules of life from people who really didn't know they had rules in life, but they passed them on to me. And I learned them well, even if they weren't very effective. But when you're little and you're surviving in a home where there's a lot of craziness, anything that works, you hang on to. And I've sort of adopted a, a bunch of rules. And when I finally became an adult, I realized I was very much like Evel Knievel. I had, uh, I had this idea about how life should be lived, and I kept thinking I knew how to live life. Evil Knievel, the, the reference to him is, he kept thinking he could jump the Grand Canyon, and he almost made it. So he decided he needed a bigger bike. I would have suggested give up the Grand Canyon. <laughs> but that was the way I lived my life, was, I followed the rules I had as a, when I was a kid growing up. We had things like, we're loyal to you no matter what you do, no matter what happens, we're with you. We keep secrets. You ever heard of, never had any of that happen? We don't talk about what happens in the family. We keep that inside the family. We pretend like it didn't happen. I could go on with, with this discussion except to tell you that the reason I learned those rules from my mom was because she was the daughter of an alcoholic. And he had rules, and he was the kind of person that when he drank, he became mean. And when he became mean, he would be physical, and he would harm those in the family, his wife as well as the kids. And what she learned as a child on how to survive, by the time she left home, she had me as a child, and she only knew to teach me what she had been taught. It's, it was passed from her family to her, and from her to me, it's a family generational disease. It gets passed on. But it doesn't change the fact that those were the rules that I learned and I thought that was how I was supposed to behave in life. And as I got older, uh, I was up in my teens, uh, I had an, uh, a circumstance or two that happened that just sort of affected me dramatically. Uh, I was, uh, I got involved with a church. And this was a religious group, and I'm going somewhere with this, be patient with me. And this church group had its own set of rules. And they were different than the rules I had been taught at the house. So I bought into these rules, and uh, it was, uh, it was a very small group of people that were absolutely convinced they were right, and the rest of the world was wrong. Uh, and that's what they believed and I bought into that. And they told me a lot of things about what God was like, how to live your life, what you're supposed to believe, how do you know if you're okay, saved, as, as the term we would have used, saved. And I bought into that. And those were the rules. And could I have told you what the rules were? Not really. But I operated off of them, and I could tell when I was following the rules that were in my head that were sort of in the back of my mind. The reason that matters is because those rules, once learned, I have never been able to get rid of. To this day, they are in my mind, and they're part of my experience. Even though I have a bigger motorcycle and a larger black jacket, I still can't get across the canyon. They don't work the way life really works. They just almost work. So when I uh, came into Al-Anon, by the way, one of the luckiest things that ever happened to me was I, uh, I got married to someone who was drinking, uh, ended up needing to go through a recovery process to, uh, because of the drinking, and when we went to a psychotherapist for a while. And I, my theory on psychotherapists were, was that the more you spend on them, the more likely you're going to get well. You get what you pay for. Uh, But the only thing that I guess I really remember out of uh, those sessions that were there is it seems to me in my mind there was a conversation where it was said to the alcoholic, you need to go to AA, and looked at me and said, you need to go to Al-Anon. Well, I did, because I was trying to help her. I understood that the rules were, if I love you and if I care about you, this is how I'll interact with you, and if you get in trouble, I'll cover it up. And I was part of the problem, but I was operating off of rules that I thought said I loved you. I mean, this was how I showed you I cared. No matter how destructive it was, those were the rules. Uh, rules, I could call them principles if, if I want. Uh, one of the things that, um, in the religious group that I was in, we believed that if you had an experience, you would change on the inside, and then everything outside of you would be well. If I was had my conversion moment, I would everything would be fixed after that. Somehow magically, I would be well. And I kept waiting to get well. And I kept waiting to change on the inside. Uh, I went on to seminary uh, with that church. I graduated from seminary. I became a pastor of a church. And I kept waiting for my insides to change and for everything to get well. And one day, I finally stood in the pulpit and I just said, you know. I stand up here talking to you about things and how to be saved and how to live, and I'm not sure I have what it takes to make it myself. I don't know that I will make it. Shortly after that, I resigned from the church, and I was adrift in life. Well, the um, for about ten years after I got out of the church, I just uh, I lived as it pretty much got out the Bible and said, if it said thou shalt not, I decided to give it a try. It's just kinda of like a checklist. <laughs> it kind of gets you through it. And I thought I was winning. I thought I finally was having a good time in life and that didn't pan out because I was still operating off of rules, principles that don't work the way life really works. And so when I funny I got married uh, and I ended up in Al Anon Uh, I got into Al-Anon because I was still operating off of some old rules, even though I had some new information. And I very much was trying to be a good Al-Anon because I needed to help her. And I had some great ideas. And they almost worked, in my mind. They never did anything inside her. Eventually, with time, I finally got to the point where uh, I hit a bottom, and I I was just whipped. And I I came back to Alanon anon in, in the year 2000, thereabouts, and, and I've been consistent with Alanon ever since. And I came back, and I was there this time, because I'd gotten in one time, uh, and while I was in Al-Anon, she got sober. And for five years, she didn't have a single drink. She was totally miserable, but I was in bliss. Something I had done worked. She later on said it was the five most miserable years of her life. So we came to Chattanooga. We were in L.A. at the time. We came to Chattanooga. And I started Al-Anon again because she had gone ahead and started drinking again. And this time I was here, I was back to stay, and, I, and I'm and i still here. But one of the things that happened was I was going to Al-Anon meetings, and I was reading from the books and the literature of Al-Anon, but I wasn't changing I was going, but I wasn't different. My insides still did not match my outsides. I look great out here, but inside I just wasn't okay and uh, um, the point that I'm making on this is that I needed a change, and I needed a change that was worked for me because until my insides changed, I was going to be one very miserable, miserable man. so uh I stumbled. Along And one day in a meeting, they were talking about a concept called detachment. I said, I've heard you talk about that. Would you give me some examples of how you detachment a person? (laughs) And they went around the table, and each one of them gave a quick story of how they actually practiced detachment with someone in their life. I had my pencil. I pulled it out, and I wrote down their examples. And I went back to work, and I went home, and I dealt with my family, and I practiced on them. Now, I didn't do a good job when I first started, but I heard somebody one time say that if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. I heard it again today, and I still believe that, because I did it so poorly that it was just barely done. I'll give you an example. Uh, my wife's last Time to drink. Uh, she, she. Came, I told her. I said, "All right, I'm going to practice detachment, and that means that I will do nothing whatsoever under any circumstances, be it life or death, to help you." Now, I missed the part about love, but I got the part about detachment. And she came. She was. Uh, she was standing at the top of the stairs. She said, "Well, would you take me to a treatment center?" I said, "Okay." I'll do that. So we got in the car. We drove to the detention center. And I said, on the way, I said, which one? I'm not choosing. Okay, she named one. We got there. She said, would you help me inside? I'm I'm struggling. I'm physically unable to hardly walk. I said, no, I won't do that. I'm detaching. (laughs) Real story. She said, well, would you ask one of them to come out and get me? Okay, I'll do that. I went in, I got got one of the people to come out. They helped her in. And they said, we need you to fill out this paperwork. I said, not me. I'm detached. <laughs> My wife did her best to fill in the paperwork, literally. Finally, they got it finished and said, we need you to sign. I said, I'm not signing anything. I'm detached. <laughs> so she signed it. And they looked at me, and they looked at her, and they said... We're going to put her in your car and you are no longer involved. You're just going to drive her to the center. You're going to take her in and we want you to leave. <laughs> and you can practice your detachment. They didn't say that, but that was the attitude. But the fact is, detachment was a, a, an incredibly important thing for me to experience as poorly as I did it. It was probably the only Contribution I actually made to my wife's recovery was to get out of her business. When I think of step one, as Alanon has been co- become part of my life, I realize that I am powerless over alcohol. I also realize I am powerless. I mean powerless. I do not have the ability to change the insides of another human being. And that is what I had been trying to do all of my life, was to change you so that you would be okay in some way, and I could be okay because you were okay, because unless you were okay, my rule said I wasn't. Detachment. Uh, I also um, noticed that there were other principles they talked about, boundaries. So I went into a meeting and I said, you talk about boundaries in Al-Anon. Would you tell me how you do boundaries? I had my pencil and paper ready. We went around. And I said, by the way, not that I was trying to be controlling, by the way, I would like for you to give me an actual example of what you did and how you did it. I wrote that down, and I started practicing boundaries. And at first I thought boundaries were for them, whoever them was. And then I found out boundaries were all about me. Where am I? What do I do? What will I not do? How will I do it? How will I not do it? Because this is what I believe and this is what I need. Um, It was interesting to see using those on the job. It was interesting using those with my family. But the point is that I actually found that when people would tell me how to do it and I went out and did it, things happened. Before this, I would think about it And I would hope you would finally change. There's a big difference in those two. I learned the rules of life wrong. I came into Al-Anon and you started sharing with me new principles, new rules, and how to do those. Now, I still have the old rules, but today I have a choice I've never had. I can use the new rules and the new tools instead of the old rules and the old tools, even though I have both in my mind now. And sometimes the old rules still show up. They still come back, but I have a choice that I didn't have before. And someone told me one time, the company I work for, uh, but actually the company I used to work for as of yesterday, they gave me some training, and one of the things they trained us on was with a psychologist. Um, We were a pretty sick bunch. We needed a lot of help. And they said, uh, one definition of mental illness is a lack of choice. If you have one answer... To every question, something's wrong, and it won't work very well. And Al-Anon started giving me choice, where I had never had choice. Because I actually knew the rules of Al-Anon. I could not know the rules that I had been taught as a child, and I didn't really understand the rules I was taught when I was in that church. I couldn't have articulated those. Uh, So as I went through this, and and this is is the point that I I would like to get to on, on this, is, I found that when I look back on this, I was, I was so caught up in relationships that were all tangled and gnarled, that and I would actually get a buzz off the, a kind of a high off of rescuing. I don't know if you've ever been there. Wow, I really bailed her out of that one. One time, uh, my wife came to get me at the airport. Uh, it was wintertime. It was raining in Chattanooga. Uh, she I got off the plane. I was in L.A. at the time. I got off the plane. We were engaged. Well, we were dating at the time, I think. Actually, I don't know if we were engaged or we weren't married. I remember that much. The point being is that I get off the plane. I walk down the concourse, and there she stands, the woman of my dreams, and she's soaking wet up to her neck and dripping on the floor. And it's cold, and she's sitting there like this, standing there. I said, "What happened?" She said. My car it uh, I got in a puddle and it and it killed the engine. I said, okay, let's go fix that. It suited me this so we jumped in uh my car and we went out and we looked and we found her car, and you could see the headlights under the water it <laughs> that was a puddle. Well, guess who's going to try to fix this nah, that's exactly right, but the point being is that i I found that I don't have to fix other people anymore because I can't fix another person's insides. They have to fix themselves. I have to fix myself. The other thing that I discovered was I couldn't fix myself. That was a shock, by the way. I was a little dismayed by that because if I can't work on you, what am I? what, what is this thing about me not changing me? And it turns out I need help. By myself, I can't do it. But with you, I can do amazing things and change. I will not be successful in this program by myself. I need sponsors. I need sharing partners. I need people in meetings that will tell me the truth. I need people that will sometimes just listen to me and say, oh, my God, I can't believe he's saying that. But they let me, because in Al-Anon, there were no musts. And in the church I came from, everything was a must. Today, I have some choices that I did not have in the past, and, uh, and it makes a difference. Um... So I was—I sort of had this intoxication or this euphoric experience. I had this high. I get this buzz off of fixing people, off of being a hero, off of being the rescuer. And it was—I look back, it was the way it wasn't our family. You know, when they were going crazy and I was doing the right things, I was wonderful, Lou. It's kind of like it was in the church. Oh, when you do the things we tell you and you do them that way, it doesn't matter if it works for you. You're a wonderful, Lou. And I'd get a little buzz off that praise but I never changed on the inside, and it didn't really work very well. And uh, I couldn't seem to let go of that. I couldn't change me without you. This euphoria that I'm talking about, though, is, is the topic that I wanted to bring up. And that is, I needed to detox from relationships as much as the alcoholic needed to detox from their chemicals. I was as hooked on having a relationship that met my unspoken game the rules I knew how to play, as they were on their game with hiding from life behind alcohol, I was hiding behind you. I was hiding behind them. I was hiding anywhere except having to deal with myself. I needed you because I could not accept myself. So this idea of detox, a uh, spiritual experience for me, is that I have found that when I started practicing detachment, and when I started practicing boundaries... And when I started practicing letting go of my expectations, and when I actually started literally, physically interacting with you, so I was no longer practicing, uh, where I was practicing uh, acceptance instead of expectations, I started finding my relationships just changed. Now that that's an important point for me because I had been working the steps. I've worked all twelve steps multiple times. And I have done them in sequence. But I have not experienced the 12 steps in sequence. They happened when they happened. I actually experienced step 11 before I ever got an experience with the other steps. And the only way I can tell you that worked was they had an 11-step meeting in Chattanooga every Sunday night at 8 o'clock, and for one hour they practiced doing step 11. So I showed up. I (laughs) I went to some place to go hide. And I practiced step 11 with them for two years. The thing that kind of bothered me was it started working. I didn't have a God. I didn't believe in in, in, a, in a higher power. I believed in you. I believe you did. I believe I could trust you to be an influence on me. But because I actually did what they suggested, the way they suggested it long enough, it started changing how I interacted on the job. It started changing how I interacted in my marriage. It started changing how I interacted with my dad, how I inter- by practicing these principles, not hearing about them, not thinking about them, not doing. I've, I didn't change on the inside first, but I started doing the very things that they suggested worked for them. It started working for me. And I can tell you today that it has made a tremendous difference because today I am pretty much, not totally, but I'm pretty much okay with me. Whether you're okay with me or not still matters, but it's not sufficient any longer. The other thing that I would say is that there are people that over the last couple of years have said, hey Lou, you know that stuff you talk about, that detox, that al detox, not the AA detox, I'm not talking about alcohol, I'm talking about me and my craziness in my relationships that I get buzzed off of. The drama was just intoxicating at times. Even though it was scaring me to death, it was still a buzz. And you know, I'm a broken thinker. When I was a kid, I was about eight years old, and I was up in a hay mall, and there was a girl there that was lived next door to us, and I wanted to show her that I was Tarzan, so I grabbed a piece of twine, and I swung out the door of the hay mall, and it didn't hold up. So I plunged all the way down and landed on a bunch of tire rims, and I broke ar- both arms, and I looked down, and I said, oh my, there are new angles. <laughs> I, have, I have an extra elbow right here, right now. It just looked kind of different. And I thought, well, I'll never do that again. I was 35 years old. I went up to a set of cliffs up on Chickamauga Lake in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I looked down, because I'd heard people had always jumped off those cliffs, but no one knew anybody. I said, I'll do that. The people in the boat were small. Looking down, they were small. There was something wrong with this. (laughs) But I was so afraid of not jumping because of what they would think, I just leaped. It wasn't one of those good decisions. You know, they pulled me out of the water. The bleeding the, the finally stopped. You know, it was stuff like that. I'm a broken thinker. I sometimes think I've learned my lesson and all I'm doing is waiting to let it show up in some other way that happens in my life. So uh, people have said, hey, we really, you know, some of the things you're sharing that how you got the uh, this sense of how to finally start practicing, literally, not just talking about it. They say, would you share that with us? So I have done that, and I'd like to share it with you just briefly. Um, and that's this the whole purpose, because when folks come to me and they say, would you do the 12 steps? I say, well, yeah, but why don't we do this, uh, why don't we do some detox first? Not alcoholic detox, Al-Anon, relationship detox. I say, okay, let's try it. So well, let's try it for a session or two, and we'll get together. And I'm the kind of guy that I will come up with crazy stuff on my own. I'm a broken thinker. I get creative. I can improve on something. I've got a really good idea. Let me help you with that. So I have a book called Courage to Change. Are you familiar with it? I use it. I say, now here's what we're going to do. I know that detachment is one of the most important things I ever learned in Al-Anon. Yeah? Why don't we just talk about it? I'm not going to be your sponsor and tell you what to do, but I'll be a sharing partner. You can call me sponsor if you want. But let's let's take the courage to change and let's just sit down once a week and we're going to read just three readings on detachment. We'll read the first three. And we're going to read the first one and go real slow, because I'm a slow listener. And they'll read it out loud. We're sitting in Panera's or Starbucks so we don't talk real loud. But we read it out loud and... Then I'll say, was any of that sticky for you? Kind of stood out to you? You sort of related to that? And they'll relate to it or not. They'll say, okay, let me tell you what I got out of that for me. I don't know what you're going to get out of it. I'm not here to change you. I'm powerless to change your insides. But I can take action. I can practice these principles. Then we'll come back to next week and we'll read the next three readings. So they'll read. I'll read. They'll read. Next week we get together. They'll read. Talk. I'll read. We'll talk. Then they'll read. Did you realize there's about there's about six weeks worth of readings of, of and courage to change. Just all, if you do it three a week, there's about six weeks worth of detachment in there. But detachment is so important. In in the book um, how Alan works, it says it is so important that even If you have to make amends later for the way you detached, detach. It's that important. After we finish going through and talking about this, by the way, each week that we come back, the only reason we read this stuff last week was we're supposed to go out and do it this week. And then when we get back together, I say, tell me how you did it this week. Oh, well, I did this, I did that. Well, I didn't do much. Okay, that's up to you. Let me tell you what I did, because I'm practicing too. What did you do this week on detachment? Well, from the three that we read last week, and then you would share. After we've gone through about six weeks of talking about practicing detachment, some of these people are just really detaching. They're doing it more gracefully than I did, but they are detaching. Then we move on to boundaries. And we will, by the way, in Courage to Change, there's only two readings on boundaries but boundaries are just a special kind of detachment. And we'll go through that, and then we'll go out, and we will practice setting boundaries for ourselves, and we come back and we talk about this. Is this making sense to you that practicing is more important than talking? Doing something with it poorly is more important than waiting until I change on the insides and I'm ready to go get it. Practicing these principles is the mechanism that my insides finally began to change from because I didn't have to keep reinforcing old rules. It just didn't work, but I didn't know any better. I have choice today, and this this allowed me to have choice over and over and over for weeks. One of the problems I had when I first came in is they would talk about something wonderful, and then I wouldn't hear any more about that for two months. By then, it was out of my head. I mean, it was gone. It was lost in the noise of my thinking. Uh, one of the things I can tell you about the 12 steps for me, that, the, that practicing the tools uh, and how they're different, is when I have done the steps mechanically, each step took away something that was really noise in my mind. And by the time I've gone through the steps, I don't have nearly as much chatter. In fact, there are people I used to talk to in my mind called judges and cops and other things that aren't even there anymore. I am kind of alone up there, and I have gotten rid of a bunch of stuff. One of the great gifts of um, one of the great gifts of Al-Anon was, I was in an Al-Anon meeting one night. It was the 11th step meeting, by the way. Uh, I think it was. And I, I finally opened up and told her how much I hated my mother. I was so angry at that woman. I told him that uh, I actually thought she was worse than Adolf Hitler, but I think I might have exaggerated that a bit. But that's how I felt. And I opened up and I explained what happened and how it was and and that when uh, she had been dead for eight years. And they said, Whoa, 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 whoa! Are you angry at this woman? Yeah, she's been dead eight years and you're still angry at this woman? I said, Yeah. I said well, she's, you've made a god out of her. She controls you from the grave. I was so shocked by that. I was so stunned. I don't even remember walking out of the meeting, but I stood outside the door, and it was my first spiritual experience. And I said, Mom, I will let you go if you will let me go. And it just fell away. I have not had any more of that in my life with her. In fact, I would tell you that today... My mother lived a tough life, and I was lucky that she took care of me the way she did. When she was in the fifth grade, they pulled her out of school and put her to work in the cotton mill. Her dad, who was an alcoholic, was so bad that she was ready to marry anybody that would have her to get out of that family. She married an alcoholic of all things. Can you just imagine that? She had three kids by this person, and the man was out running around, brought women to the house while my mother was there with the children, and she finally said, I won't live this way, and she, with a fifth grade education, left. She got married to my dad. I'm uh, I'm a second marriage for my mother, and she took care of me. She raised me. She fed me. She, I th- all I could see was what I saw, and that was me and my set of of, of of disconnects. I let her go. She let me go. And today, if she was here, I would I would tell this story, and I would want her to hear that last half. I would not want her to hear just the first half. Um. So each of the steps have taken away something in my life. Each, every time I've gone through the steps, something has fallen away. Before I um, started to using the tools, these, these principles and practicing them, I, I used to meet with a guy every Sunday morning. still do, by the way. Uh, we've been doing this for, since 2005. And uh, I would come in and moan and groan, and I would complain. I'd talk about my wife, and I'd say, you know, I did this, I did that. Uh, And he said, well, how's it going? And I'd moan and groan. I was a victim, and she would do this, and I'd fix it. Or Finally, one day, he just said, you know, we've been doing this for several years now. You know all that stuff you've been fixing? I said, yeah. He said, does it stay fixed? (laughs) I felt I'd been smacked. Because I could tell the truth of it. And I realized, you know, I am powerless to change the insides of another human being. And I think I'm powerless to change the insides of Lou. But I am not powerless about following new rules if I want to. That's my choice. So today, uh, what I have is, I probably have about eight people here that uh, that. We do this kind of an activity with. I don't, there's only so many people you can do one-on-one with. And about half of them are AAs. And the other half are people that have never had a problem with alcohol as, as, as far as drinking is concerned. And did you know, it doesn't seem to matter whether it was AA or whether it's a non-AA person. It's all about the relationship and they're all about relationships too. And they get it. It's amazing how they're just going out and they're doing stuff and they're coming back. Uh, I've got two people I do this on the phone with. One is up in North Carolina. And we, for a little over a year now, have been going through the Al-Anon every Sunday night from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock. And this guy is just growing like a weed. He even sat down and made a contract with his wife. Now, see, I like mechanical things. This is good. He made a contract with his wife about what they, as a couple, won't do when it comes to their alcoholic kids. So that they could work together and be on the same page. And they... They have their boundaries, and they wrote them out, and they talked about them until they were both happy, and they are having a time of their life because they no longer have this unspoken set of rules about, well, I've got to help them, and I know they're going to waste the money, and I know they're going to get in trouble again. We have a better way. We have a better way. So I'm here to suggest to you today that I think I am particularly fortunate that I stumbled into Al-Anon that I'm particularly fortunate that there were Alan honors who said, you don't have to do any of this, Lou, but if you want to, we'll help you. I'm particularly lucky that there were Alan honors that told me how they did detachment and how they set boundaries and how they practiced acceptance, and I could go try it as an experiment. And I'm just grateful that today I can pass on what you gave to me, and it detoxes me. I have a life that's just emotionally and and uh, mentally healthy compared to where I was. So I I wanted to share with you today that I am more than just grateful. I am a practicing member of Al-Anon, and anyone that I have in my life, I share that with them, and if they want to practice it, we'll practice it together. And what I really like about that book, by the way, remember I told you about the three pages we do? The reason I read it out loud from Courage to Change is because I know that has been reviewed by hundreds of people who say that is a true experience for some portion of Al-Anon. And that's safe. That's been vetted and is conference-approved literature. I used to think conference-approved literature was about who's going to get the money. I now realize that's to protect me from me. And we will read what's right in the center of the road, and then we can talk about anything we want to about what we got out of that reading. We go to the next page... We read it, we're right in the center of the road. We can talk about anything we want to about that. And I share my experiences, good or bad, and they share theirs. This has been a great way of life for me. And I am a broken thinker, and I have rules that would have me thinking I can jump the Grand Canyon. And I think that getting a bigger motorcycle might do it. But they never worked for me then, and they don't work for me today. And that's okay, because I have a brand new set of rules. And I have the 12 steps to take away the noise in my life. I have the tools that will allow me to get out of the craziness, the life that I was living that was insane. And I close with this. I don't, I never found the steps to be all they could be for me until I got out of the noise of my intoxication with my relationship. I had to get clear before I got as much as I could from the steps. My name is Lou. My name is Lou, and I am with Al-Anon. Sure. sure. Before we dismiss, I've asked Pat if he would share a little of his experience because he has something that's almost identical, and I'd like for you to hear it from two voices. So if you'd just linger a moment.
1: Well, I know it's late. I'll be quick. I'm Patrick again. I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. I, uh, uh, came into the program kicking and screaming, uh, God told me to get here, and I argued with God, but he was right and I was wrong. Um, my first sponsor, uh, I had tried the self-sponsorship route, and that worked great up to step four. Couldn't seem to figure out how to do step four, so I found a guy who had what I wanted, and I asked him to help me with step four, and he said, oh sure, I'll be glad to help you with step four. Now, let's talk about step one. And we went into step one about the same way that Lou was talking about, with uh, except we used the original Al-Anon book, um, One Day at a Time, uh, also known as ODAT. And we would go through and we would meet uh, w- once a week, and actually he did a group study. There was three of us and him, and we would meet at a Waffle House, and we would go through a reading the first reading on step one and we would read it and we would discuss it and we would get through maybe a couple readings a week and we would meet each week. Well, do you know how long it takes to get through step one on doing just two readings a week? It takes a long time and I thought I'd already done step one. I thought I knew what a powerless was. And I really, by doing it that way, I really got powerlessness. Because in Al-Anon, we have problems with this concept of uh, powerlessness because we don't have the, the incapacitations of our crazy thinking. Our crazy thinking allows us to keep things going and control things and make things happen. And so we, you know, it takes a bit for, it took a bit for me to really realize how powerless I was um then the set, set did the same thing with step two came to believe a power greater than myself we did the same thing reading, talk, reading, talk week after week after week after week and but I really got the sense of a power greater than myself and that's kind of and and my sponsor asked me a question at that point he I told him I said well I understand God I know God I was raised in a religious environment I've had a conversion to another religion and I I really got a good idea and he says well tell me about your God and he go well I kind of was raised with this God that's kind of I think he's kind of watching me and waiting for me and just watching to see what I'm going to do and am I going to am I going to mess up and if he's going to get me and he says well, okay how's that working for you And I go, well, I guess not too well. And he said, well, then I'd fire that God and get me a new one. And I said, okay, God, I know that you're there because too much has happened, but I'm going to release all idea of what I know about you. And that was the beginning of my spiritual awakening. At that point, I started seeing God show up in my life doing different things that I never expected, I had never seen before. And either God had always been doing those, and I just didn't, I was ignoring it, or all of a sudden, he started doing stuff. And I'm going, whoa. Um, and then when I turned my life and my will over to the care of God, uh, and I like what I heard earlier this week, that uh, this weekend, about life is a series of surrenders. And I was able, with this new understanding of a new God, I was able to surrender myself more. Um, and how this played out and how I've applied this was this, uh, I started in 03 was when I started in Aladon and in 07 my wife kind of got sick. But she never would go to the doctor because she could always figure out, she says, well why do I want to go? Because I know what's wrong with me and I don't want to pay him money to tell me what, what he's, you know, what he's going to tell me. And I said, and what school of medicine did you graduate from? Uh, she eventually got uh, so bad in the summertime, she went to the doctor, and uh, this was about nine months after she had been not starting to feel well, and he came back on August 28th of 07, the diagnosis of angiosarcoma, which is a very rare but very aggressive cancer. And I asked the doctor, I says, wow, I says, well, tell me how does this work? How do we, you know, how does the progression, what's the progression of treatment, what do you do, then what do you do, then what do you do? And he goes, well, that's not how we treat cancer. We look at her. We evaluate her. We see right now what's the most important thing that we need to fight. And we fight that with all we got. And then once we get past that, then we'll look at her again and look at what's the next thing to fight. And I say, so you just do the next right thing and leave the rest to God. And he goes, well, yeah, I guess so. So... We did the next right thing, and it ended up that after a three-month fight, she passed on November 22, 07. and I really felt powerless. I knew powerless, but since I had had the spiritual awakening after finishing the three, the 12 steps with this sponsor, then I said, okay, God, I'm powerless. I really am powerless here, and we'll just walk forward with it. So I walked some more and went through and uh, grieved, grieved her a whole year, got back into the singles world. Singles world's changed a whole heck of a lot than when I was single last time. Uh, Facebook, texting, I had to get a new cell phone plan. My cell phone plan, I was paying 20 cents a text for the one or two that I got a year or something. Uh-uh, not as a single. Uh-uh, you get one or two a morning, you know. So, new cell phone plan, I mean, a lot changed in my life. But what brought me to Al-Anon was this idea that I would be happy because I would make a woman in my life happy, and I needed a woman in my life. And so after a couple of years, uh, about three years worth of singleness, I was starting really looking for that next wife that I could really make happy. Um, I, had, I was still going to meetings, but I was cured. I had had the spiritual awakening. I had surrendered and I had gone into that phase that sometimes some of us Alanites do that we're cured. And so I'd ratcheted back my meetings. I was going maybe once a week. Uh, I was doing a lot of Alateen service and when you're doing service in Alatine, you're really not getting a meeting. You're really, well, anyway. So I did that for a while and I met a lady who seemed to have a lot in common with and we dated. We dated two, three months, and we got married, and all of a sudden, things did not start working well. Things did not work out the way I planned. Things did not work out the way she planned. And uh, about nine months later, she announced that uh, the, the therapist had said, yes, we know exactly what your differences are. They're very big differences, but with enough work and enough change, you both can come and meet those differences she said I've got a gentler softer solution and she left I started going back to meetings and I'm going I need a white chip and I was back in Al-Anon and I realized through that relationship and I, I almost really believe God led me through that period because I got to experience the breadth and how wide the God sized hole in me is Because I was trying to get a woman to fill that God-sized hole. And I thought that I could have a woman that would fill my God-sized hole. And I realized, no, it's going to only take God to fill that God-sized hole. And so I had another level of surrender, to surrender that God is the only one who can fulfill that God-sized hole in me. And I just need to keep walking with him. So now I'm back in the singles world again. I'm not looking for a woman to fulfill me anymore. I am. Uh, um, I got God, I'm cleaning house, and I'm trying to be of service and help others. And so uh, the way I say that is that my job description is to clean up, show up, be of service, and leave the rest to God. Thank you. I'm Patrick.